Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Kristen Higgins is the author of Pack Up the Moon. She's also the New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of more than 20 novels, which have been translated into more than two dozen languages and have sold millions of copies worldwide. Her two most recent novels were each selected as People Magazine's Pick of the Week. Her books have received many awards and accolades, and she is a six-time nominee for the Kirkus Prize for Best Work of Fiction. Kristen is also a co-host of the Crappy Friends podcast, which discusses the often complex dynamics of female friendships with her friend and fellow writer, Joss Day. Higgins lives in Connecticut with her family. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Pack Up the Moon and a million other things. (laughs) It's so nice to be here. So nice to have you. Well, let's start with your most recent book. Can you please tell listeners what Pack Up the Moon is about? Um, Pack Up the Moon is the story of how to be married, how to (laughs) take care of your spouse, how to prepare for death. It's the story of Lauren and Josh Park, newlywed couple. They have everything going for them. Josh is this sort of super genius on the spectrum medical device engineer, and he lives this very like closed in life. He works for himself. He has like three people that he loves in the world. And then he meets Lauren 
who's the complete opposite. She's bubbly and outgoing and they fall in love and they get married and they're both just kind of blown away by how great life has been to them. And then about a year after their wedding, they discover that she has a terminal disease, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, 12 syllables of doom, they call it. And it's kind of about what do you do with the rest of your time? How do you look after the person you love the best? And then how do you get through that time after they're gone? So in a way, it's Joshua's story more than Lauren's because Josh is living in the present. And um, what Lauren has done to kind of help him through this year because he is so reliant on her for, you know, this new life that they had. She leaves him a letter for every month of his first year of widowhood and she gives him a job in each letter to kind of lure him out into the world and outside of his his comfort zone and and try to kind of help him step back into life. And it really was amazing in the book, the relief that he felt when he started, when he realized, when her friend Amanda brought over the letters and he realized that even though she was gone, he would still be hearing her voice from beyond, right? And that he had something to do and that she wasn't complete, like there would still be dribs and drabs of her throughout with, that he could cling to, which is so important because, you know, even in the book, you talked about how the grammar has to change, right? She isn't my wife. She was my wife and how you have to kind of adjust to that. And I feel like this idea of the letters sort of, you know, almost softened the blow a little and made me personally be like, I totally need to do this. Like everybody <laughs> should do this for the people that they love. Like, what am I going to do this? I don't know. I'm going to have to put it in my calendar, like write letters, post mortem, you know, whatever. <laughs> anyway, but it's, it's so true. The comfort that that, that can provide. And in a way, you know, Lauren is torn about it because she, on the one hand, she thinks he's definitely going to need me more than ever after I'm dead. You know, so it's this conundrum of how to look after him. On the other, she thinks, am I just prolonging his grief by popping in every month? And of course, in Josh's mind, no, this is his lifeline. But yeah, I mean, I think about my own death all the time. Everybody has a hobby. The other day, when my son was still home for the summer, he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm just updating my funeral instructions. He's like, (laughs) as one does, you know. (laughs) And um, that's a document that I've had since I was like 20, 23. Because, you know, I've lost, I've had some profound losses, like like every human. Um, My dad died in a car accident, hit by a drunk driver. And, you know, life changes in that instant. And then a few years later, I, I lost a baby. So... I know that feeling of, I will never be happy again. Like, I don't even remember what happiness is when you you lose something, your life changes so profoundly. And there's this question of like, you know, how am I going to get through all these days? You know, there's so many days to get through. And then I think at some point, you know, you make that choice of how are you going to be for the rest of your life? You know, are you going to be a constant open wound? And the answer is, you know, yeah, sometimes, absolutely, you can't, you don't get over people, you know, and you just learn to carry their memory and their loss more easily and and with, with more strength, maybe. So this is what Lauren is trying to do for Josh. And Josh is a great person, you know, he's very loving. He's, you know, he's a little bit different because he has, you know, difficulty reading people and 
you know, because he works alone and, and he has that little tiny circle, Lauren knows, you know, she's going to need to push him out of it and, and find more people for him. And so a lot of her tasks in these letters are just getting him out into the world. The first one is go grocery shopping. And he's so happy that she knows, like she says something like, if, if I'm correct, you know, you haven't showered in days, you have this stubbly little beard that an eighth grader would grow, you're vegetables are melting into one big vegetable, you know? So, and he's like, yes, you're yeah. right, buddy. You know, <laughs> it's like, she's here. And he's so elated to go out and do something for her to make her happy. And then the jobs kind of progress in import throughout the book. And we also learn a lot about Lauren because her story is told backwards. She, her, like her last, the last time we hear from her is the first chapter of the book. She's about a week away from dying and she knows things are changing. She can feel it getting closer and IPF is a lung disease. So it can be very erratic. Like you can have good days and then you can have days when you need to be rushed to the hospital. But she tells her story from, from that day backwards so that by the time her story is done, we learn how she's met Josh and and the kind of impact that meeting him has had on her. So both their stories end on this note of hope for the future and excitement for the future, and and that's kind of like you know gate into a new into a new phase of life. Wow. Well, so many things. First of all, with the with the errand to the grocery store, I thought it was so moving how you had him forget his wallet and that the the clerk let him, you know, realized that she, you know, Lauren had passed away and was like, no, no, don't even worry about it. And he was, it's, it's like he hadn't even, you know, because in the midst of grief, you forget all the normal things, right? You can only do so much. And remembering a wallet sometimes seems like the hurdle, right? Like, yeah. So I just love that detail. In fact, the types of details that you have everywhere, which are so real, right? And so relatable and so just on point. And second to your, to all of your losses, which I had known about before, but still, I'm just so sorry. I know it was a while ago. It doesn't matter. And I'm, you know, I'm just terribly sorry. To your point about the funeral, I too have a document. I also think about this all the time. I think about my death constantly. It's terrible. I, you know, but actually I ran into a girlfriend recently and I always think about it in terms of like the funeral and all of that and like the aftermath, but she worries about it in terms of like who will find her and how. And I had not worried about that yet, but since our conversation, now I worry about that too. I know, so much to think about, so much right, to So much to think about. Anyway, so I, I totally get that. And I get the, just once you've had loss, you, you, you know, it's so present that you can't sort of get past it, but, yeah. but in that it, it can improve your life too. So it's like all of these things. I mean, you don't want to reduce it to, I'm a better person for having loved and lost because it's so much more complicated than that. You know, you can't say, at one point, Lauren says, you know, I'm not going to be an idiot and say that, I'm glad that I have this disease, but it is part of my life and I love my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's always that sort of, you don't want to glamorize dying in a young person. I think, you know, it can go very maudlin and sanctimonious very quickly. So I worked really hard to keep Lauren normal and to have her have her meltdowns. She's not a saint. She's not Mm -hmm. all knowing, 
But like the author, she loses her dad at a young age and it kind of introduces her into this world of adulthood. Mm -hmm. Because I think that one of the biggest hurdles in becoming an adult when you're in your you know teens and 20s is you know for a lot of people their first loss comes in early adulthood and whether it's like a beloved grandparent or you know a parent or you know a classmate driving wildly or something like that and it really shapes the adult that you become it really it really doesn't you know and grief and loss is something that every human experiences and grieving is love, you know, it's like the purest form of love in a way, because you knew how lucky you were. And, you know, a friend of mine just lost her dad and I, she's like, I miss him so much. And I, I said, he deserves that, you know, that's, yeah. that's a sign of your love. That's because he was a great dad and, you know, you don't need to shy away from it or bait up like so many of us Americans try to do. <laughs> how old were you when you lost your dad? I was 23. Oh, can I just read from your, you wrote this beautiful essay for, for moms don't have time to write called preparing for widowhood. We're the happiest couple I know, despite the fact that I've written his eulogy four times. You wrote it in April and it's so beautiful. We'll include the link in the, in this, you know, the show description for this, but can I just read like the couple opening paragraphs? Cause it's so good. You wrote, my father died three years before my wedding, killed by a drunk driver while stopped at a red light. It was a random, preventable, horrible death. Until then, my life had been just fine, but suddenly dad was gone and everything changed. My mom fell apart. I became the de facto head of the family, the older daughter, the one who lived nearby. My sister was still in college, utterly heartbroken, and my brother distanced himself from the rest of us, cloaking himself and his life out of state and his then fiance's family. I handled everything from my father's business to the court case against the drunk driver to taking care of my mom. I became a true adult while my mom became a ghost, so wrecked by grief, she was lost in it. I felt like I was lost. I felt like I lost both parents the day my father died. And then I got married. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Oh my gosh. It's so good. And <laughs> then, you, then you said we were young and happy and healthy. And I immediately started preparing for young widowhood. Weird. Sure. <laughs> oh, so moving. That's my, that's my paradigm. Sadly, you know, is, is looking at my mom who was 47 when my dad died, you know, and you know, my husband's a firefighter, so that doesn't help. <laughs> and, you know, if he's late for work, I turn on the news and start looking for the, you know, the fire where he might be or, you know, the horrible wreck. He learned long ago not to come home late without telling me (laughs) because the first time he did, I was just certain. I was certain like there is no reason we have young children at the time. There's no reason he wouldn't call to say I'm stuck on a call or something like that. And by the time he got home, I was so tightly wound. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm writing your eulogy. And I just burst out crying. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm so sorry. But yeah, you know, I, I think that grief is such a beautiful emotion because it is such a representation of, of love, but also like as a writer, it's so complex and it's so layered, you know, there's, there's all those anger, denial, you know, bargaining pieces of it, but also it, it doesn't, it's not like, okay, it's been six months. I should be feeling better now. It's not a straight line and it'll turn around and smack you when you least expense expect it sometimes decades later, you know? And yet again, it's something that we all have to deal with. We all carry. And so I, I wanted to write this book. I was on the beach here in, on Cape Cod in February, a couple of years ago, and it was bitter, bitter cold. And the wind was, you know, howling. And I was wearing like a parka and, a, and, and sweatshirts and I was freezing cold, like six degrees out. And my dog and I were, were there and we see this guy standing at the edge of the water. He's wearing like a windbreaker because, you know, we're Yankees, right? We don't like to admit there's weather. And he didn't have a hat on. I was like, you know, that little kid in Christmas story, you know, in his snowsuit. And there was this guy, you know, just staring out at the ocean and not moving and not affected by the weather and the wind. And I thought to myself, he looks like the loneliest man in the world. Oh. And I want to write his story and I want to save him, you know. So I, I decided to write about a young widower who has to... I've done this before. I've written Widows and Widowers. You know, I've written, this is my 21st book, but I've never walked a person through that immediate time. And also with the knowledge that your your spouse would die, you know, facing that. And one of the reasons I did that was because I like to write about difficult subjects, you know, things that we tend to look away from sometimes, whether it's one of my books dealt with body image and weight, and women and how hard it is for us to come to like accept ourselves when we're in a society that, you know, worships bodily perfection and also food. Right. I wrote a book about, wait, about, which, which book was that? It was good luck with that. It was, good luck uh, with that. All right, I'm ordering that now. <laughs> it features the three women who met at weight loss camp as teenagers and their different journeys. One of them dies of complications related to obesity in the, in the early chapters. And, and then with this book, you know, when you see a young person with a terminal disease, what do you say, you know, and people say a lot of dumb things, which was really fun to write about, you know, like, Oh my God, my uncle had that and it was horrible. And, you know, he died. He didn't even look human at the end, you know, (laughs) or like, you know, heaven will have another angel. And we don't like to, 
to just be with this very difficult, sad situation. And, you know, as someone who who has planned her own death many, many times, I think if I did have a terminal disease, you know, how would I want to be, what would I want to leave for my family? What kind of memories, you know, how could I work that best? And Lauren, Lauren gets to do that, you know, she, she knows, she's, she doesn't know when she'll die, but she knows it's not going to be, you know, she's not going to be too old. And, you know, that there's like a purity of having to come face to face with that. Like you're all stripped away and you have to look at, okay, so I have a few years, you know, what am I going to do? And it's hard and it's, you know, sometimes heartbreaking, but she teaches us, the author included, like how to, how to get through it, how to do it, how to do it well with your loved ones first in your mind. And I, you know, I always say like, my books make you laugh. They make you cry. They make you laugh again. This one's like, makes you laugh, makes you cry, makes you cry harder than makes you laugh again. (laughs) Yeah. Let's go back to the 21 books. I mean, you are the only author, by the way, who has a downloadable PDF link of all your book titles, because there are so many, which as someone learning about you. That was very helpful. But that's, I mean, it's amazing to even keep track of so many books. How did you start writing novels? Like, when did you know this is what you were sort of meant to do? I didn't know. I I never thought about being a writer. I certainly never thought about being a writer for a living, you know, as a career, because it's not the kind of career you can say like, I think I'll be a novelist, you know? I mean, you can be a hobby novelist, you can plan for that. But to, to have it be your day job. So my kids were little. I was a stay-at-home mom. My husband was working the, the two jobs that most firefighters work. And uh, my son was in nursery school and I kind of did the math and thought, okay, I have like three more years before he, the younger child, will be in full-day school. And once he starts full-day school, I'm going to have to contribute somehow to the family finances and I, yet I wanted to stay home. So I was like, well, what, you know, what could I do? I have very few life skills. I could clean a house, which I did. I thought like, well, I'm a fast typist, but I also thought, well, I, also, I read a lot, right? So I could write a book. How hard could it be, right, Sibby? <laughs> Piece of cake. I mean, come on. Right? No. So I thought I've read thousands of books. I've always loved romantic comedy And so I'll write that because everybody likes that, right? So I wanted to write about regular people, not like, you know, super billionaires or famous people. That's not in my wheelhouse. And so I wrote a romantic comedy about, you know, people who could be like your friend or your sister, you know, the guy you know from high school. And I gave myself like three years to get it published. And I did, I did get a contract and then I got another contract and, you know, another and another. And at some point I looked back and said like, wow, I've been writing for 15 years. I've been published now for 15 years and writing for like 18, which is a a generation, you know, it's kind of crazy. My daughter remembers the time before I was a writer my son does not, you know, he was, yeah, it, it worked out shockingly well. I think that there's, there's a couple things about being an author. Your success is not up to you. You could write the best book in the world and it could flop. You could write the best book in the world and sell a hundred copies. There's a lot of luck in publishing. 
And there's something they call it right book, right time. And at the time I had the right book at the right time, it was a word of mouth hit. And my publisher kept offering me contracts. I think my my third book was my first bestseller. And I remember, you know, my my editor telling me that. I'm like, oh, there must be a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I think they counted wrong, you know. So you can never really expect success. And of course, your, you know, your popularity can wane and 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 rise, but I've been really lucky. And here's a here's a secret. I hate writing books for a living, you know. What? 80% of the time it's misery and self-doubt. And you think like, I can't believe I have 300 pages to go before this thing is even like pretending to be a first draft that 20% of the time I love so much, <laughs> you know, when your book finally takes shape and the characters are, are three-dimensional and they know what they're doing and thinking and how to take on their problems and what to say. It's so rewarding, but it takes a while for me to get there. Wow. Well, you know, you started this conversation with this horrible, you know, how do I get through all the days feeling, which is just, you know, rel- you know, relatable, sadly, to so many. And look at the way you've gotten through the days. I mean, by helping so many other people get through their days, it's really amazing. Yeah. And the way you write about grief and friendship and, you know, your podcast and, you know, how you're <laughs> helping friendships with crappy friends and everything. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. So I just think it's awesome. So what are you, what is your next book? And then what advice would you have for aspiring authors? Okay, so my next book is called Out of the Clear Blue Sky. I think it will be another summer release. And it's set here on beautiful Cape Cod. And it's about a woman who learns the night before her only child's high school graduation that her husband is going to leave her at the end of the summer when her kid goes to Montana, 2,000 miles away, to go to college. And so, like in the space of a night, her whole future kind of crumbles and she goes a little crazy. She becomes kind of obsessed with her husband and his new wife, which is fun, not in a healthy, benign way, but in a way like, how can I mess up their lives without breaking the law? <laughs> and it's kind of a book about, you know, that that midlife crisis that women have when their babies go to college. And and you think like, gosh, for 18 years or, or 25 years or however long it is, I know you have four kids, right, Zivi? I do. So, you know, by the time the last one goes to school, you will have been mothering for so long. And you think like, well, what am I now? You know, if I don't have to pick up a kid or go to a track meet or piano lessons or something like that, what do I, how do I fill my time? And then when Lily's husband leaves her, she's, you know, doubly reeling. So that's a, a much funnier, lighter book than Pack Up the Moon, which was, you know, a very emotional book. And then my advice for, for new writers is, is twofold. It's, it's believe in yourself because every writer was unpublished once. That is the universal truth of writers. So whether it was Stephen King, who almost became like head janitor instead of author, or Nora Roberts, or, you know, Jasmine Guillory, you know, all these, all these wonderful authors, they were unpublished once, and they got rejected numerous times, I'm sure. So you have to believe in yourself, and you have to develop a thick skin, because the industry is very tough. On the other hand, you also have to get over yourself, because you are not 
this diamond dropped into the world, you know, meant to change the industry and and be heralded, you know, your readers will decide if that's true, not you. (laughs) (laughs) So you need to work really, really hard, compare yourself to the best authors in your genre, study them, learn from them and, and keep trying to be better. You know, I think that that's one of the reasons that that I've been successful is because I am so hard on my own books. That whole 80 percent of hating them gets me to that 20 percent of I think I know what I'm doing here. The book is really clicking along. Wow. I love that. I actually now I've been trying to remember what you said about all those years of not being, of being a mom. And then right there, finally out of the house. There was another book I read recently where there were a bunch of women in an old, like in a nursing home. And whenever four o'clock or three 30 would come around, there would be this sense of, you know, we should be somewhere for pickup and everything. And it just like, didn't go away ever. So I don't know. That sort of made me think of that. Anyway, well, Kristen, I'm so glad to have met you. I, you know, as you've been talking, you know, when you said you don't want to romanticize grief or what it does to you, it's like, I don't want to do that either. But I feel like when you've gone through loss and can talk about it and relate to people, it's almost like, you know, you can still see, like without loss, you still have like the beautiful trees, right? But with the loss, you get to see down into like the root structure further and further in. So it's just like the tree still stays the same, but you have a new appreciation for all of it and a deeper understanding of it. So I don't know. Beautifully said. That's what I came up with. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) thank you so much for coming on Mom's No Time to Read Bugs. Thank you for Pack Up the Moon. Thank you for writing for Mom's No Time to Write. And I hope we can stay in touch and meet in person sometime. Me too. Thank you so much, Sibby. All right. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.